The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. If you spent about three minutes on LinkedIn, then no doubt you've come across Ian Darmati. His posts are never about how he gained 10,000 followers in 17 days or steal this or hack that. But this episode today is how data, met branding, and how branding can be operationalized. Today, Liam is the founder of Liam's Brand Stand, a brand strategy firm that helps executives, founders, and their team build magnetic brands that attract clients and opportunity on LinkedIn. But here's the thing. This is so great. Liam is a hardcore data geek, nice guy hybrid. And for the past 17 years, he's been more of an ops guy right? He, he's that guy. Marketing ops, product ops, people ops, revenue ops, in technology. So what the bleep is he doing here talking about branding? For most of the executives I come across, it's a really squishy subject. And they think, oh, that branding thing, you know, do I really need it? It's kind of soft. And how do I do this so it really matters? And so that there's an ROI that Liam Darmati, I could not be more excited to have you here. I couldn't be happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's always an absolute joy listening to you, but talking to you especially. And so thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast. I'm a big fan. Okay. So I want to know what happened in that moment of clarity where you said, okay, I, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave this tech terrain. I'm going to go over to the world of branding. I mean, yeah. how do those things reconcile with each other? So there's two, there's, it's a two part answer to that and two separate points in time. And all of them have to do with, you've probably heard me say that LinkedIn is not a social media platform. It's a serendipity manifestation platform. And that is something that is a mouthful and it's kind of cheesy, but it is very, very true and, and I believe it. And so, as you mentioned, I spent the better part of the first 18 years of my career in, in operations at technology startups, very focused on analytics and data. Um, you know, ROI was easy to, to determine and calculate. We didn't make decisions without data. And I started building my own personal brand on LinkedIn at the beginning of 2020. I had seen a lot of people on the platform sharing content more regularly. And I thought, you know, LinkedIn seems like a good, good place to be. I could share a lot of my thoughts about business and just my take on things. So I started doing it. And then when the pandemic hit and we were on lockdown, I was in the house with 
a small house with an infant and a toddler and my wife who, God bless her, she'd let me talk all the time, but I, she needed a break. So I use LinkedIn as my community, as my network. And I started building relationships with people all over the world, people like yourself, who I never would have come across probably if I had not become active on LinkedIn. And you've become somebody that is almost like a pseudo mentor for me in a way. And, and the fact that you've become, you know, you are a well-established entrepreneur and you have your own business and you're always there to offer help and support. And it's, it's incredible. And I value that. But so the idea that, you know, I could just start being myself and establishing a brand around it was interesting. Uh, and a lot of it had to do just with relationship building, just being an extrovert and wanting to connect with other human beings. So fast forward about a year and a half and this company reaches out to me and they wanted to help, they wanted to hire somebody to build an employer branding and talent marketing operations function. Stop the press it. And I said, I don't know anything. Stop the press it. <laughs> so you got found yeah. on LinkedIn yeah. for a position that yeah. wasn't advertised? Correct. I mean, somebody like just came and said, hey, Liam, like, we notice what you're doing. We really like it. Would, would you talk to us? Yeah. And my response was- It's called the hidden job market. That's, that's for non-believers, right? Exactly. And my response was similar to what yours was, which was, I, was, I said, I'm, I don't know anything about employer branding. And their response was, yes, you do. You're doing it every day for yourself. We just need you to apply the same skill that you're using there to our employer brand. And that's when the first light bulb, go ahead. Did you think they were crazy? Yeah. Because if, the, if, if I had seen that position listed on LinkedIn, I probably A, wouldn't have applied because I never would have thought I'd be considered for it. And I was probably right. A recruiter would probably have just passed the resume and looked at the next one because my background did not say years of employer branding, years of brand marketing experience, right? And that's when the first light bulb kind of went off for me. I was like, whoa, like my passion and my ability to share my passion on this platform has just converted into a job opportunity that is a career pivot for me and will offer me an increase in salary to go and try doing something professionally that I've just been doing for fun for the last few years, right? And that's when that first light bulb went off. I was like, okay, like you got, as an operations person, you pay attention to signals and you pay attention to trends. And, and that was like, wow, like that's a big deal. And so I got the job and I started doing the job and doing the work. And, you know, we did a lot of fantastic work at that organization, putting the people at the forefront of the brand and getting people passionate about what we were doing on the LinkedIn platform. And then a few years went by, we got acquired. And then, you know, I had been around for a while and the, you know, the, the, the company that acquired us was much larger. And so I just, I got to a point where I thought it's now or never, right? I've got enough runway that I can give it a few months of real good like effort and not have it impact our finances or anything. So let's go. And my wife, as I mentioned, very supportive was like, you've always talked about what if, what if, what if you've thought about this for years. If you do this, now's the time to do it and go do it. And so I took a leap. And that is, that was the reason for it is just, you know, seeing if I can strike oil twice. Mm. So you can probably strike it like many times. <laughs> I would say we probably can through the course of our careers. That's right. A hundred percent. And so 
coming from this ops background, the idea of operationalizing something, and now we'll apply it to branding, and we're going to actually not just apply it to branding, we're going to apply it to branding, especially around executives as also employers, but primarily for executives. Talk to us about why that is so, and I'm going to really emphasize it, essential. Why is branding, personal branding, operationalizing branding so do or die, you must do this? My answer to that is that we live in a global world now and the the days of just limiting our personalities and our experiences and our skills to the geographic network that we have around us that we can physically shake hands with or be in the same office with, that's no longer the world that we live in, right? We need to expand our own reach, right? I think if you think about mm-hmm. You know the inter- the, when the internet first became, uh, you know, came onto the scene, all these companies raced to globalize. Like, let's maximize our footprint across as many places as possible, expand into as many countries as possible, become uh, brands that people recognize globally. And now, I think individuals are experiencing that opportunity. Okay, um, so the third one would be: you need to operationalize your brand for its reach. Yes, and the impact of the reach because when you were found through your last company right it wasn't through your network nope it wasn't through people that maybe you you know a company it, it sounds like it came out of the blue totally out of the blue totally out of the blue so you have a personal brand they found you and the rest is that is history but I want to also, I, I should have done this first, but I'm, I'm going to do it second. What are the components of operational brand, uh, operationalizing branding? Because we just established that you, you have to do it for the reach. Yep. But what does that mean in this context? Because you'd understand it in other contexts. What I understand is that there has to be some element of breaking down something that's very abstract and putting it into some level of measurable elements. Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, I I think a lot of it has to do with understanding how you want to be perceived and what it is that you want people to think and say when they interact with your brand. And so there's a, there's a structure that's associated with it. Right. And I think some people are less structured. They like to just kind of write whenever. Other people more so. Other people, the idea of sitting and staring at a screen and trying to create content that will reflect their personal brand is intimidating and they, they think it has to be some PhD dissertation. And that's not the fact, especially with an executive. An executive and a founder have already established credibility because they're at that level. And because they're at that level, people are paying closer attention to what they have to say not necessarily because they expect it all to be this perfect, perfectly written book, but rather because they're, what they have to say is rarely heard out in the open, right? Without polish, without you know some PR or marketing team behind it. So if you can get accustomed to saying, these are the three things that I'm most passionate about. I, I call them the three C's and they're core content categories. 
And if you're thinking about creating a brand and you want to start operationalizing it, pick three categories that you want to talk about on a consistent basis. And they should be things that you're passionate about. They should be things that you can talk forever about. And they should be things that you can naturally write about. And each core content category can have subcategories. So like for me, branding is one because I'm very passionate about branding. I always have been. Innovation is is another. I'm always talking about technology and data and culture and the future and Web3 and all sorts of other stuff. And then the third is kind of more the the personal interest side of things, which is where my hot sauce, you know, and my my barbecue and all the other personal things, working parents. But those are all topics that are part of who I am as a person. And by putting them into buckets and saying, okay, if I'm going to post three times a week, one post will be from this bucket, one post will be from this bucket, one post will be from this bucket. And you start to operationalize the content creation process, right? Mm. And it becomes less of a intimidating thing because it's not just off the cuff and you're not questioning it. You're saying, these are the things that I have chosen to represent my personal brand and this is the system that's going to help me operationalize that. And then you leverage tools that can help make it easier for you to do that. You leverage AI, right? Like you can create posts that are inspirational and then you can tweak them and make them your own and and use these tools to simplify your workload and make it easier for you to be efficient, right? Operationalizing content is about efficiency as much as possible. And so those are all things that factor into it. And then measurement. So one of the things that I focus on as a differentiator for myself is that I have this background in analytics. And so I can take a data set from, you know, any number of providers that scrapes, you know, information from LinkedIn or other sites. And I can basically run analysis to tell you what the actual ROI is of the content that you're putting out there. And I think the other thing that's important for people to think about is demand gen marketing and, you know, growth marketing are so easily measurable in the moment. Like you can put put something in, you get something out, you can measure that in a short window of time. Brand marketing is different. And that's what you were saying. People say it's squishy. Do you need it? Is it essential? And and I think it depends on your perspective on what that represents because you might not see ROI on the brand efforts that you put in right now for three months. But that three-month deal could be a multi-million dollar deal. That three-month deal could be the opportunity of a lifetime. That three-month deal could be you finding a partner who you want to start a business with, who just happened to love the content that you've been creating, reached out and said, hey, I'd love to get to know you more. And and like, sure, you can't quantify that in terms of like CPMs or CPCs or return on ad spend, but that's a pretty impressive thing. And even if that happens to you once in a year, it's worth the time you put into it. So it's just a shift in perspective. That makes sense. It makes complete sense. And so I love uh, the core content pieces. And as we start unpacking this for executives, some of the pushback areas that I run into that I think are also probably going to come your way as well, include things like, why do I need to? Because so-and-so and and -and so-and-so isn't doing it. Like kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to go to bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so what do you say to people that are resistant to not just developing a brand through through content? I actually had somebody just yesterday 
a woman that I met and she's making close to $2 million. And when I opened my mouth and said something about content, it was the end of the call. Wow. And she was like, I don't feel comfortable self-promoting. How do you handle that objection? What do you say to that person who's like, I just really want to be an executive. I don't really want to go out there and do this. So there's, I think there's a couple different angles that you can go there. And again, I, I will have to, I, I, you asked me this in a year, I'll probably have a more concrete answer and definitive opinion. But I think there's a couple things. One is many executives want to, to, to give back and, get, and pay it forward, right? There's, there's that element of uh, passing knowledge and passing information. And I think people thinking about personal branding solely as self-promotion is a different is not they're missing the point. It's not necessarily just about self-promotion. It's about sharing your experience and your knowledge and your wisdom and the learnings that you've accumulated in your decades-long career as a business professional and, a, and an accomplished business professional. Putting that out there into the world and letting people see that is beneficial to other people. It's good karma. It's it 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 adds value to your reputation, but if that's not really what, why you're doing it, if nothing else, do it to help other people. Like that is one of the things that like, if you are an executive who makes $2 million a year and you donate a bunch of that to charity, well, knowledge transformation is another form of charity, right? You're paying it forward to other generations that are coming after you and you're sharing wisdom with people that might not otherwise have it. There are very few people that get the luxury or the opportunity to be really senior level executives at big companies, multi-million, multi-billion dollar organizations. And the lessons that you've learned in, in your journey to get there are things that people would love to hear, right? If you're, a, if you're an executive who wants to write a book, well, I mean, that's not self-promotion. <laughs> it's the same type of thing. You're just putting your thoughts out into the world. And that's where I think people get branding confused, is that it's not, it's not just self-promotion. It is being a good business citizen and sharing the knowledge that you have with 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 the broader audience. Can it be self promotion? Certainly. Does it does it translate to opportunity? Absolutely. But that's not the only reason that you do it, right? And that and that would be the touchy feely component, I guess, that you could say if you play on that that aspect. But the flip side is that there is that thought leadership element, right? There is that. Do you want to be invited to? conferences? Do you want to be invited to podcasts? Do you want to be featured in Forbes articles in various magazines? I mean, does anybody honestly say no to that? Like people love being featured for the, for what they know and what they've accomplished. And if you are putting yourself out there, those types of things will find their way to you and that can create opportunity that you didn't know existed. I don't care how much money you make, having opportunity fall on your doorstep is never a bad thing, uh, no matter who you are. I have the chills. Because this pay it forward, good karma, we know now from research that candidates, for example, on the market that have thought leadership are worth more to companies. There are a huge amount of, of organizations, especially Forbes, that really, really promotes you know, that idea that if you are on Forbes Council, for example, which is a paid for position, which is also very fine, what that means is that you are now in a different level of thought leadership and that increases your price point 
as a candidate that is saying you are committed to your industry, to your craft, to being able to pay it forward. We care about what you have to say. And if I am a hiring manager and I have one candidate that has done nothing on LinkedIn and somebody else who has been generous enough to share their thoughts, processes, point of views, collaborates with other content creators in their industry, what am I? You don't even have to tell me I'm a team player. Please do not put that on your resume, by the way. I just figured that out. Right. Right? So there's a lot more that they're picking up when you're putting it down than just what is on this document called a resume. And I want to actually steer this as we continue up talking about personal branding is you spent you know, a lot of time talking about content, which is great because I understand that it's a huge, huge, huge piece on LinkedIn. But a lot of people are extremely self-conscious about writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious on LinkedIn, what other ways would you offer up as other vehicles or, or strategies that they can operationalize, that can also help promote their personal brands. Because again, if I am somebody who is defining themselves as a horrible writer, I have a husband who defines himself as a bad writer. He's like, never um, in my right moment would I ever consider like putting something out there or I just don't like to post. How else can I develop a personal brand? Yeah. So I think having a profile that is fully built out and leveraging the featured section that shows, you know, articles that you've written in the past or video clips of interviews that you've done or podcast appearances or, you know, councils that you've sat on under the forums council, for example, if you were included in an article, things like that, making sure that that's represented on your on your profile. You could spend time just engaging with other people's content, right? Having conversation with other people on the platform, getting to know other people on the platform, that can be very useful as well. Now, obviously, a lot of executives will say, well, that's time consuming and it's difficult and I don't have the time to do that. And that that is certainly very valid, but there's there's other things that people do spend time doing that they could supplant that time with something spent on building a personal brand. And and I think that that's very important. There are audio rooms, right? If, you, if you're not the kind of person that likes to create posts, but you jump into an audio room. I was in an audio room earlier today. I and 75 people followed me during the course of that audio room. And that's a massive, that's a week's worth of followers in increase in, in a matter of 30 minutes. And, and all I was doing was just having a conversation about something I was passionate about with another person who is passionate about that same thing. It's just a conversation. It's just dialogue. You know, that there's, there's so many different mechanisms through LinkedIn specifically that you can create content that's representative of who you are and how you think and what you do. It doesn't have to be posting on a consistent basis. Flip side is you could get somebody to work with who does do the ghostwriting, right? There's plenty of ghostwriters out there that do the writing for you and then you don't have to write, but your content is still making it out there, right? And I think that's perfectly acceptable. So here I am, I'm role-playing now. I'm like super executive. I've got all the C-suite titles all wrapped up in one, whatever. Yep. And I want to know if I'm improving and I don't have, you know, Shield or, or Authored Up or Navigator or Premium or any of these other ones. What should I be looking for? What really matters? Because 
we could rank up followers all day long, but again, you're just you don't want to be adding people into your network that aren't necessarily network worthy. So share with me and the rest of our listeners, what do you what what do you need to pay attention to? Where do you, are you gonna watch if and this is the long game that we're playing, where are we gonna see the that needle move and where are we gonna get excited when we say, Yes, this is progress? Yeah. It's engagement and it's conversation, right? I mean, I, I'm always talking to people about vanity metrics don't matter, impressions don't matter, follower count. Break down vanity metrics because I want to get away from like the the yeah. that we that we understand. Like, take us outside the lexicon. What is a vanity metric? So, a vanity metric is essentially those basic sort of KPIs that a lot of people that are in social media. To define as success. And that could be the number of followers that you have, the number of impressions that your post gets, uh, you know, the number of times something is mentioned, um, all sorts of things like that. And and that is there's a place for that, fine, but like we don't control the impressions. We don't control the followers. We have no control over that. What we can control is the the quality of content that we create and the quality of conversation that we're having with people. And the times that we show up and where we show up and how we show up and what we share when we do. And if you can build a conversational network on the platform, that is where a lot of opportunities manifest themselves, right? You start to connect with people globally. Formula for engagement, you know, impressions divided by comments. Do you use that? Is that, is, is that what we should be looking for? So yeah, I mean that that would be one. I, I I honestly I always encourage people to have some type of tool like a shield that they plug into that you know somebody like myself can run analysis on because then you at least can have an an, an engagement rate right. But even on LinkedIn, you can see uh, in your analytics if your engagement is going up and to the right, right? They they show you that you know your content is engaging up up and to the right, and that is something that dictates the success of how people are perceiving you on the platform. And with every conversation that you have and with every interaction that, that you have, it's an opportunity to make an impression and to potentially open a door to something that's that's new, right? The other thing I think is being intentional about how you grow your network. I think instead of letting your network just kind of fall into place, you have this network with 930 million people on it. They're all there. If you want to be connected to the editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine, Jason Pfeiffer, you can connect with him. He posts at least three or four times a week. You can leave a comment on his posts. You can connect with him directly. You can see if you can get featured by the magazine. There's so many ways to just put yourself in a position to be discovered or to be uh, presented with an opportunity to take yourself to the next level, right? And I just think that that is something that is very important for people to pay attention to. And I want to just go back to something that you said earlier, Lauren, about executives about having a candidate who has proven to be willing to put out a personal brand and to talk on on uh, social channels or on LinkedIn specifically about their thought leadership versus not having that candidate. If all things being equal, one has that and the other doesn't, that one who has it wins. Companies want to see that. And at the executive level, the other thing that's very important is the top-down leadership component for your existing employee base. If you are an executive team that takes this seriously, takes thought leadership and and the sharing of content on the platform seriously, you're giving your employees permission to do so as well. And what happens when you give your when you empower your employees to do that is that their networks then become activated with your company's network, and so recruiting becomes easier. 
client development becomes easier. You get the the opportunity to identify and be part of conversations that might not otherwise have occurred because all of these, these this network effect is happening and there's a flywheel effect. When we started focusing on our personal brand at, at the last company that I worked at, there were software engineers who were starting to post content on the platform. Software engineers never posted content on LinkedIn. They were like, they hated LinkedIn because they viewed it as this place where you just had recruiters trying to recruit you. And engineers don't need that. They've got oh, tons of opportunities, right? But then they realized they could start talking about GitHub and start talking about the various programming languages that they learned and about all the different tools that they use. And then all of a sudden, all of their engineering buddies start commenting on their posts. And then you end up saying, oh, well, we're hiring. Do you want to come work for us? And technical talent is not easy to find. So if you can get people from their networks interested in your company because your leadership has posted and that motivated them to post, it's all just a flywheel effect that, again, takes care of itself. Yes. That's not the ATS. Those people would not have found the opportunity without being connected to the person who works there who then posted about it. Right. Because I, I could see some really short-sighted companies saying, well, why would we be paying our employees to spend time on LinkedIn? And you just answered that. Yeah. Because I just set up a, 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 recruiting, a recruiting funnel that's free. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I'm spending less to let them go on whatever period of time it is than actually the approximate $4,000 that it takes to acquire one candidate through applicant trackings. 100%. And, and I'll use this as an example because Cisco, uh, there was an article in Fortune Magazine in December of 22 about Cisco's SVP of people uh, deploying a program to turn their 84,000 employees into LinkedIn influencers. And it resonated with me. I posted about it. It was all over LinkedIn for a period of time. And I, I wanted to do some basic math here. If you have 84,000 employees, and let's say that 84,000 employees, let's say on average, they have 1,000 followers and they post once a week. How many impressions is that for Cisco? It's 4,368,000,000 impressions for free. There's no ad spend associated to that. And you're telling me that you don't want to try and get that type of, of impressions on a global level, on a platform that is known for recruiting and attracting talent? I mean, it's it's bonkers. Now, are you going to get all 84,000 people to post every week? No, no, of course not. But the opportunity yeah. is there. Even if you had a fraction of that, 10% of that, you know, 20% of that. But if you don't do it and you don't embrace the value of it at the executive levels, then you're missing that opportunity. And that's a massive miss. So we need the bumper sticker, right? Like if you're an executive and not on LinkedIn, like I'm honking at you. And- <laughs> Yeah. This, this is crazy town. I mean, and we know that it's only getting more robust. And that means that the algorithm is also becoming increasingly more uh, complex. And yep. so, for those people who really understand the algorithm as of this moment and who are on top of what's happening tomorrow, you know, they have really, those are the people like Liam that you want to align with because. If you go do this on your own, yeah. I mean, good luck. I had, I had a friend call me today. I have a couple quick questions about LinkedIn. And I said, well, I don't have a couple quick answers. You know, <laughs> I was lying. This thing is not just a toy. Yeah. It's 
deal. And thank you, Snoop Dogg, for, for setting pace. Yeah. <laughs> and this over for the next couple of minutes to our signature questions. And so, Liam Dalmati, I need to ask you, what is your absolute number one favorite book on branding that we should all be reading, aside from your ebook, that is, uh, and, and, and we'll go to? Oh, let's see. I might have to turn into my turn to my Audible for this because I read a lot of them. I think it's not necessarily entirely branding focused, but one of the things that I've what you do is who you are by Ben Horowitz, who's one of the founders of Andreessen Horowitz, which is a venture capital firm in the Valley. The whole concept of of being yourself as a reflection of what you do. Right. And and I think that that is what I think personal branding is. People people talk about it like it's this strategic thing and it's very calculating and it can be that. But at the most simplistic version, it's the who behind the what. It, it, it's, you know, who are you? How do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Give me some context behind all those achievements that are on your resume. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big one for me. I think Startup of You was another one that's by Reid Hoffman who founded LinkedIn. You know, he talks a lot about just treating yourself like like a business and promoting yourself like a business. And even if that doesn't mean converting, you know, business the way that businesses do, it's just like thinking about yourself as a whole brand. And then actually that reminds me of the article Two that- Two good that, okay. Yeah. And then that reminds me of, of the article that, oh, uh- Tom Peters wrote in 1990, like the career, the, the brand called you, right? It was an article. It wasn't a book, but very similar. The, I, the concept of, you know, you being a brand and, and, and thinking about yourself that way is valuable and it, it makes sense to do it that way, in my opinion. Okay. So the next question is kind of like a goofy Lauren question, but I still like to ask because yeah. I am um, kind of the queen of the post-it reminder. and. So what is your what is the post-it that we should keep near our desktop that reminds us about the value of branding and how to operationalize it? So the value of branding and how to operationalize it. My post-it note would say, put good things out in the world and good things will happen to you. Don't overthink it and be consistent. Mm. If I could fit it all on one post-it note with my handwriting, that's what it would say. <laughs> I can write small. Yeah. And then the last one is, what's your walk-up song? Um, that would be Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. I, that one I didn't have to think about. <laughs> but I bet I gave you a softball. No, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Liam Darmati, we can always find you on LinkedIn, so I don't need to tell people that. But I do want to thank our listeners and I want to thank LinkedIn as a whole for just everything that they do to bring us together. Because had it not been for LinkedIn, I would be having this conversation with Liam and so many of the other guests that have come on the show. And for those of you who have been so kind and generous with your wonderful listening ears, please rate and write a LinkedIn review. We are working so hard here because we're at the top 2% globally after 27 episodes, 38 on our uh, listen note scores, which honestly really doesn't mean anything to the rest of the world. 
But when you have a new baby, you're like taking pictures and doing every little thing that you can to make sure that you're nurturing in the right way. So I really appreciate you, Liam. I appreciate you, all the listeners. And please keep zooming past all that speaking for your advice so that you can feel your outcomes now. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you. 